Timothy verse, chapters 2 through 4, beginning with verse 6. In addition to your own Bible, you may find it on the back side of your message notes or on page 855 in your worship Bible. Please follow along as I read. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus has sent to Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Great, great Priscus and Achilla, greet Priscus and Achilla in the household of Onsiphicus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophius, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Ebulus sends greetings to you, as do Putin's and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with you in your spirit. Grace be with you. This is the word of God. The words Bud just read for you are considered to be among the last words of the Apostle Paul. If you listen to them carefully, you see he's a man expecting to die. He knows, doesn't know how much time he has left, but he knows there's not much left. He's in prison. He's cold. He wants a coat. He speaks about friends who've deserted him. He speaks about uh, um, the, the defense that he'd already made once, and now apparently he's expecting another one to occur, and he's fully expecting to breathe his last soon. And yet, even though it has that flavor of it, it has sort of a note of victory as well. I have fought the good fight. I finished the rest, you know. And there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. You know, we just finished a lot of time taking a look at the Apostle Paul as we've seen him occur through the book of Acts, and we saw him end up in a jail in Rome. Now, we might think that this 
letter that we just read out of Second Timothy occurs at that time period. But early Christian, early Christian tradition suggests that probably at the end of Acts, the, sermon, the, the, the text we looked at last week, the Apostle Paul was in jail, and he was under house arrest. He had a Roman jailer attached to him. He was able to preach the good news of the kingdom and the Lord Jesus Christ, it says, it says boldly and unhindered. And two years he was in that setting. So early Christian tradition suggests that Paul escaped that imprisonment and went out various places we don't know where, and then about two years later was arrested once more. And this time he was not placed in a house under house arrest, treated as a favored person awaiting trial, but he was in a dungeon, cold and expecting to die. So early Christian tradition believes that Paul probably died in about A.D. 64 or 65 when Nero was emperor of Rome. But I thought it would be good for us to take a look at this story in the Apostle Paul's life because this is the next opportunity we have to know about him. We skip a couple of years. The Scriptures don't tell us about it. But in this last section of the Apostle Paul's story, we see him a man ready to die, a man who's finished his race, a man who has achieved what it is that God has for him, a man who is suffering, yes, but is suffering uh, with integrity and looking forward to the promise that God has for him. We get a good picture of what his life was like by how he writes this letter. And so we're going to take a look at this letter in a few different aspects of it and see some things that really energized and were the driving forces of the Apostle Paul's life. July is something of a bittersweet month for me nowadays because it was two years ago, right at about this time, when my father, who had been very healthy, had a stroke, which took his life only a few weeks later. And I remember spending time with my father at that time in the hospital bed when he was prone and could do nothing, nothing, literally, except at first he could move some of his arms. It's kind of hard to remember all this right now. You know, and uh, they said that he could see if he opened his eyes for the first couple of weeks. There was some hope that he might come out of this stroke, but as it turned out, that did not happen. And we just never really know what it's like to spend our last day. He had been gardening. He had gone into the, uh, with his wife. He had gone to the home to get some ice, into the house to get some iced tea for her, to bring it out to her because she had asked him to do that. And then all of a sudden she heard a noise and he'd fall into the chair and quickly his uh, faculties began to leave him. We just never really know. And so we've seen this, admire, this admirable character, the Apostle Paul, We've seen him in, uh, in, in encountering shipwrecks and lions, he says at one time, and being stoned for and left for dead and, and, and being rioted over. We've seen him take his way into Rome and show up there preaching the gospel un, bold and unhindered, and now we see him at the end of his life. What does he reflect on in his life? What do we learn about the driving influences of the apostle Paul's life. I think there are four that we can see in this letter to Timothy. Now, Timothy was his dear, beloved friend. He actually called him in this letter, my true son in the faith. He was probably the young man whom Paul loved more than any other in the world. And so he sits down to write down his letter to this young man. And he, we see something in it about his driving influences. There are four driving influences that we'll see as we look at Paul as he closes out his life. We see something about his calling and his commitment and his convictions and his 
confidence. And so let's take a look, first of all, at the first driving influence, which was his calling to the gospel. And because I had more text today than I was able to have Bud read for you, I've done something I don't usually do, and I've printed that text. This is from the first chapter of this little book. We're going to survey this little book. And so I would like to ask you, if you're able, to read this text with me. Ready? Therefore, are you reading? Not, not in your head, out loud. All right, here we go. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our own works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. The Apostle Paul has a sure calling to the gospel. He says, join me in sharing in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy calling. We have a tendency to speak of the ministry as the only kind of call, like he's called to the ministry. But what is this text saying to them? He's saying God has called us to a holy calling. Every follower of Jesus has been called by Jesus Christ. You see, the the gospel story tells us not just about you, but it's about that God has called you to be part of His family. We are the, as we say as a church, we are the called and gathered and sent community. We have a sense that God has called us to Himself. He was called to the truth of the gospel. You see, the apostle Paul had a sense of purpose and a sense of meaning beyond himself. He knew his life wasn't ultimately all about himself. He didn't live for his own comfort. He believed that there was something important that God had called him to do. He even called, and in fact, that calling involved, as I showed to you, suffering suffering twice in that, men, that time period. He had been able to suffer because he knew that he had been called. This theme will come up again later as we look at this text together. He had a sense of being called to a task, and so therefore he was willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel. You know, one of the things that can really give to you a, a sense of uh, uh, impetus in your life, what is it that drives me? To what am I truly called? What am I clinging on to? What is it that I really want? The Apostle Paul, another passage uh, of, of Scripture, talked about leaving things behind in order to reach out for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He had a sense of belonging to Jesus. To whom do you belong? You know, we're proud, I'm proud, and I'm sure you are as well, to have an identity perhaps as an American citizen, and then it places upon us certain responsibilities and certain opportunities and certain privileges, and it's great to be an American citizen and to be able to stand and to sing uh, uh, the, the Star Spangled Banner a, a week ago, not this week, but the previous week, I do the prayer for the Buffalo Chip every Friday night, 
and, uh, and I do the prayer you know, for the group that gathers for the bull riding. And I, I do my prayer, and I begin to hand the microphone back to Tonka, the, uh, the announcer, and just, oh, Steve, can you say that, sing the national anthem? So right away, I take that back, and I say, all right, guys, we're going to sing the national anthem together, and so let's just do this together. The national anthem, by the way, is meant to be a community event, not a social event. You know what's going to change that? When you decide to sing it wherever you are, right? So anyway, so I try to encourage people to sing that. It makes me proud of that calling. But there's a greater calling that you have. You've been called to faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've been called to faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news that God has rescued us through His Son, that history has a purpose, that my past is forgiven, and that my present makes sense. Life is meaningful because I've been called to His purpose, called by His grace. The Apostle Paul in other passages of Scripture tells us that at one point he thought that righteousness was something he had to achieve by his good deeds, that it was up to him to meet the standard that God had raised up for him. Then he later realized that there was that Jesus had already met that standard, that Jesus had come and begun to, uh, the word is impute, but to give his righteousness to us so that he was now then free to love God and to serve him, that his life was not meant as a means of gaining God's favor, but as a life of gratitude to God's favor already given. The gospel is that the Lord Jesus Christ is the king of the world, and he's died to rescue us as we place our faith in him. And so I ask you, before we move to point number two, have I responded to the call of the gospel in my life? Have I responded to the call of the gospel in my life? You see, you have been called, but have you responded to the gospel you see, while God's message goes out everywhere, it must be responded to personally. How do I respond to the gospel? I simply surrender my heart to Jesus Christ. I make Him the Lord and the Savior of my life. I trust in Him and His good works to make me acceptable to God, not my good works. And I determine that I will follow Him to the best of my ability. Have I been called to the gospel have you been responded to the call of the gospel? If you haven't, do that. Do it even this day. But there's another thing that goes along with this as well. Not just have I responded to the call of the gospel, but the other thing about it is, have I been ashamed to have I been have I been ashamed of the gospel? Look what he says here. Timothy, do not be ashamed of the testimony. And he says in the end of it, but I am not ashamed because I know in whom I have believed. And I'm convinced that he's able to guard that which I've committed to him against that day. Some of us who've responded to the call of the gospel are woefully ashamed of the message of the gospel. The gospel is the hope of the world. The gospel is the hope of the world. Don't be ashamed of that. It is the one thing that makes this life truly makes sense. It is the one thing that can make sense even out of your suffering. American culture does not have an answer for suffering. All we can do is get mad about it and angry or lash out at others. But the gospel gives us a message about suffering that Jesus suffered for us to set us free so that we can suffer and know that we're with Him 
eternally. People who follow Jesus know how to suffer. Have I, been, have I responded to the call of the gospel? Have I been ashamed of the gospel? Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Be ready to share that. It is the message which changed the world back then, and it will change the world even today. His first driving influence was Paul had a calling to the gospel. There's a second thing that Brian's going to show you in a minute, and that is this. The second thing that drove him was his commitment to Jesus. Go ahead, Brian. His commitment to Jesus. Is it coming up here? There it is. All right. And we find this in Philippians, or excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 2. I took some major things out of each chapter to help you see. Now, he's, he's, sent, he's sending this note to his young protege, and he's wanting him to know important things. And so he says these things to him, and I'll have you read it with me one more time. Are you able to do that? He says to him this, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is a hard-working farmer who ought to be the first to share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the Word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy, and he gives to him some word pictures. He says, be single-minded like a soldier. Be single-minded. Yeah. It's up there somewhere. <laughs> it's all right. Just hit one more time. It'll come back in, I think. Oh, we'll find it. Be single. The hardworking, uh, uh, no soldier. How does it go? Uh, you, therefore, my son, be strong in the faith that is in Christ Jesus and the things which you have heard from me. All right, next one. Entrust to faithful witnesses. Endure. Share in suffering as a good soldier. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. He's saying to Timothy, be single-minded like a soldier. Now, we don't see soldiers quite so often, but you know when you see a man in uniform, he's a man on a mission. doesn't matter. He might be slouching when he's at home by himself, but when he puts on that uniform and when he shows up, it's like something happens to this guy, right? It's pretty impressive. I've never been a soldier, but I find that so impressive. These men and women dressed and, you know, they're just ready to go. They're people who are single-minded in their pursuit. Their single aim is to do what the commanding officer has asked them to do. And then he gives a second image. Be disciplined like an athlete. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Be disciplined like an athlete. You know, we see people do athletic things, and, uh, you know, uh, and, and yet we don't realize the discipline that goes on behind the scenes in order for them to succeed in those moments. My friend Mike is, I saw you here, yeah, you know, I remember I used to coach with, with Mike, and, you know, baseball is a very disciplined sport. 
It's an extremely disciplined sport. And you get up there, and you set the tee, and you work on your swing over and over, keep your hands back, and all this sort of thing to make, because you want to be disciplined in order to be able to perform when the pressure is on. You can't be thinking about all the things that you need to do in the midst of the difficult moment. In the difficult moment when, when the, you know, the, you know, when the guy is on base and you need to hit, in that difficult moment, you can't just be thinking, okay, I've got to do this and that. You won't perform well. You need to have been disciplined before that. So when the pressure's on, you will naturally do what you have trained yourself to do. That is true for you in your life. Our commitment to Jesus needs to be a disciplined commitment so that we work hard in the trenches, so that when the pressure is on, when the decision needs to be made, we will naturally do what we've been trained to do. That is what is unnatural for us has now become second nature, and we do the right thing, okay? Do the right thing. He says, share as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. He's a soldier of Jesus. He's an athlete for Jesus. And then the third image, be hardworking like a preacher. Oh, wait a minute. I guess it doesn't say that. I guess preachers don't have the reputation of being hardworking guys, but farmers do. Hardworking like a farmer. I remember for the four years I lived in Indiana as a young preacher in that farming community, I was impressed at how hardworking these guys were. Every morning they got up. By this time, many of them farmed many acres and also had other jobs because that's the way the economy had happened in the 80s. You know how that went. And so these men were working like crazy because that's what farmers do. Be a hardworking farmer as you serve the Lord Jesus. Be a disciplined athlete as you serve the Lord Jesus. Be a single-minded soldier as you serve the Lord Jesus and be willing to suffer in the midst of that. So we are soldiers of Christ Jesus. We're athletes for Christ Jesus. We are hard work farmers for Christ Jesus. And we should remember, he says, Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul, had a huge commitment to the person of Jesus Christ. And so let us ask ourselves, am I committed to the person of Jesus Christ? Is Jesus merely a concept for me to learn about, or is he a person for me to follow? Is he someone I can know? See, the gospel tells us that Jesus has come to us and lives within us as we place our trust in him. We place our faith in Jesus because he is risen from the dead. He is the descendant of David, and it is this good news, this gospel the Apostle Paul has been preaching. Am I committed to Jesus? And along with that, am I disciplined in my commitment to Jesus? Many times, followers of Jesus are very lazy when it comes to really disciplining themselves for the purpose of godliness, disciplining themselves for Jesus' sake. Four driving influences. The first and the second, and now let's take the third. The third driving influence in the Apostle Paul's life, it was his convictions from Scripture. His convictions from Scripture. He had an incredible devotion to the Scriptures and unshakable confidence in the Scriptures. And he wanted to pass that along to Timothy, his young protege. And so let's hear what Paul said to Timothy. Can you read with me again? But as for you... Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, 
and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Clearly in this section of Scripture, the Apostle Paul evidences an absolute devotion to the authority and the inspiration of the Word of God. And he wants for Timothy to be committed to it as well and to do his best to pass along that truth to others, to preach the Word, to be ready when he's ready and when he's not ready, to reprove and, reprove and to rebuke and to exhort and to be patient in, in, in teaching others. You see, we need to become students of this Scripture. We make no apology for the fact that when you come here to this church family, you will hear this Word of God read and talked about and applied to your life, I encourage you to become a student of the Scripture. We are a culture awash in our own moral morass, and we need a fixed reference point. And that reference point is the Word of God, because it's the Word of God that gives us the authority of God as revealed through Scripture in the person of Jesus Christ. It's not always easy or cut and dried exactly how to interpret this book. We've been doing it for many thousands of years, but we remain committed to the truth of it. We surrender our lives to its authority. We seek to teach it, to follow it, to affirm it, to live by it. You see, the Scripture says there in verse 16 that all Scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training. I've often thought about that. Teaching teaches me the right way to go, reproof, corrects me, uh, you know, challenges me when I get off, correction, shows me how to get back on the way, training, equips me so that I can stay on the path. You want to be a person who is devoted to the truth of Scripture. That was a driving influence in the Apostle Paul's life. And as you make your way through the myriad of decisions that you have to make both morally personally, ethically, politically, relationally, socially, in every aspect of your life. You need the witness of Scripture be part of your life, part of the training that you do, so that when the push comes to shove, when you need to get up to bat, you will know the right things because you spent time already learning those right things. You know, know the Scripture. Trust the Scripture be equipped by the Scripture. Maybe those are the applications that I need to make. Become a student of the Scripture and seek to orient your life around it. We so often interpret the Scripture through our cultural lenses, but we need to turn that around. We need to put the Scripture and interpret culture through our scriptural lenses. We need to see life the way God sees it. And the only way we'll do that is by becoming a student of the Scripture. That's the third thing, driving influence. And the fourth one, which we will see in just a moment, is that the Apostle Paul had an, an absolute, unwavering 
confidence in the future. He had a faith that when his life was over, he would have finished what God had called him to do, and he would go to be with Jesus forever. And so let's read this last section together, as Bud already read it for you once earlier. He says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And a little later, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Timmy, the glory forever and ever. Amen. The apostle Paul came to the end of his days, and he knew that that was just the first chapter of a long story yet to be written. We tend to think that all that matters is what happens here in this life. But as C.S. Lewis talked about in his book, The Chronicles of Narnia, the seventh book, the very last, I meant to bring it, I forgot to do that, uh, the very last page of the last book, he talks about that this was not the end of the story, but it was the beginning, and that the whole of life these children had lived up until this time, that all of Narnia had experienced up in that time, was like the title page of a new book as yet to be written, where every chapter is better than the last one before it. That's what you have to look forward to. The Apostle Paul speaks in this text about his departure. It's an aquatic term. It's speaking about the time when a ship leaves its harbor. Sometimes it's used for death, but not usually. It's usually used for, used for a boat. Well, think about death in that regard. In some ways, departure is sad because you're leaving something behind. You've seen people wave at the boats as they go. But also, departure is also glad because departure tells you you're moving on to something new when you're on the boat. And so he says, you know, I'm cold. I'd like to have my books. I've lost a lot of my friends. I'm not going to live much longer, but I'm ready. I'm already feeling my life offered out. The time for departing has arrived. I have fought the good fight, finished the race, kept the faith. I look forward to that day, that day when the righteous judge appears. The Lord will rescue me and bring me safely. You see, the truth of the matter is, someday all of us will breathe our last. But that's not meant to be the end of the story. There is a new chapter of life on the other side, once one we just cannot yet see and experience. Yeah, it's a mystery. The Apostle Paul had an unwavering faith in the gospel and his confidence in the future. He said, the Lord stood at my side and gave to me strength. See, the Apostle Paul's experience was not unlike that of Jesus in Gethsemane. While he's sitting there in that dungeon, Jesus had sat there on that garden. And as Paul had lost a lot of his, he was alone there in that dungeon, Jesus was alone there in that garden. And as Jesus prayed, Father, 
let this cup pass from me. The Apostle Paul said, prayed, I'm ready to drink that cup that you have for me. But there's a difference between Jesus and Paul. When Paul was at his last moments, he felt the Lord's presence next to him. But when Jesus was at his last moments, he cried, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? See, Jesus felt the abandonment of God to bring you back to him so that you would never, ever, ever be alone. I remember vividly in the first day or so as we gathered around my father's bed in the hospital where he was, we were told he could hear us, and he, did show, he was able to communicate somewhat, a little bit. And I was sitting with my brother and my sister, and we grew up in the church. And for some reason, that verse at the very beginning of today's message this morning in, in, first, in 2 Timothy uh, 1.12, I remembered it, and I started to sing it. It was turned into a song. But, but I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. And my brother and my sisters sang it along with me. And there we were with our father, knowing that his day might and in fact really was just around the corner. But he knew and we knew to whom he had committed himself. You need that confidence. You can have it as you follow Jesus Christ. Yes, let's have Paul's driving influences influence our life. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, the Apostle Paul knew whom he had believed. And he was persuaded he was able to keep that which he had committed unto him against that day. We don't know how long our days will be. But help us to learn from Paul's driving influences to an absolute unwavering commitment, a call to the gospel, commitment to Jesus building our lives with the convictions of Scripture and having an ultimate confidence in the trustworthiness of God for our future. There may be some among us who today say, I need that faith. Help them to place their confidence and trust in Jesus here this day. For it's in His name that we pray. Amen.